if you don't mind a tingling spine or a lump in your throat. If you kind of get a thrill feeling the hair stand up on the back of your neck or you just can't get enough of the eerie, turn down the lights, snuggle up with a blanket and keep your feet tucked up safe because we've got a story for you. It happened to a friend of a friend. Okay, we're starting. Booby Mike. Booby. <laughs> now it's in my head. Now, now it's now it's there. Ahoy hoy. Uh, hola. I don't know. That's what. That's how Mr. Mr. Burns says hello in yeah, one yeah. of the Simpsons episodes. I remember. Yeah. So sometimes when certain people call me at work because it shows up on my call display, I'll um, answer it. Ahoy hoy. Oh. Yeah. Because some people understand and some people don't. So. Yeah. I got you. I just didn't. It threw me off. Yeah. Um, Mike always answers Pete's Peckers. That's fun. <laughs> like, yeah, it's sometimes, I'm over it. <laughs> I've heard it a million times. Just do it, Megan's taxidermy. You kill him, we fill him. <laughs> I like it. I like it. When my boss calls at work next, I'm going to answer like that. You should. Yeah, he won't be impressed. Maybe he'll make it more funny. He'll be confused and be like, what? What? Taxidermy? Yeah. What? Yeah. I hope my mic is good on my shirt. I don't I You don't look know. like me. You never usually do that. Well, because usually I have it somewhere else, but it's like on my side. So it looks like I have a neck problem. This is for these mics are interview mics for like people who wear like collar jackets and we should start wearing more collar jackets. Yeah, yeah. Just cat or take our pajamas and casual wear out and start wearing. I feel like you should put the mic on this side of your shirt because you look at me. I can't because the mic the way it's set up with its clip, dude. Oh. Well just fold your shirt. I'm moving my mic because Sarah's controlling. She likes to be bossy, but I'm into it. <laughs> Listen, someone has to be. Okay. So now it's a bra clip. Now it really is a booby clip. Booby clip. Booby clip. Booby booby clips. Okay. That's a good word. Should we start? Yeah, we can start. Can't. We don't want any banter. Well, what kind of banter? How's how's, how's summer so far? It's first week. We went to the ballet. Oh, we did. <gasps> Oh, I have a fun fact because fun facts are fun. Bing! Okay, what's your fun fact? Um, there's a black swan murder. <gasps> really? Are you going to do it? No, it was too quick of a story. Basically, this oh. prima ballerina killed her husband. And Ooh. she's called the black swan murderer. That's fun. Yeah. And interesting. I would have done it as a thing. I thought it's, about it. But, but it then was too short. It was like literally oh, a paragraph. Okay. But yeah, we went to the ballet and you got to meet my sister. I did. And she was nothing like I thought. She was wonderful, though. Did you think she was going to be mean or did you think we just looked like each other and you, we were totally not? Yeah, you definitely don't look like each other. I also thought she was going to be like a hippie, boho type. She's kind of. spirit. She's a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, she has an adult job now, so. She just seems like very adult and metropolitan. Well, because she lives They in were Toronto. very nice. She lives in Toronto. They were very nice. They are very nice. I got to crash at her place all weekend because I also went to see Our Lady Peace. Did you? I didn't even. I didn't realize that's who you saw. We clearly yeah. didn't talk that much about it. Um, I'm pretty sure I told you, yeah. and that's why I stayed at my sister's. I know, but I think you just told me, and then I just like completely probably because you don't listen when I talk. Well, I guess ever. I do that a lot <laughs> to a lot of people. I'm definitely an asshole. Very self-centered. That's fine. But we got to go back to the ballet, but we didn't get to spend the night at the hotel, which I was a little sad about. I but. know. I guess that's okay. We'll make it up in the, in the fall. Yeah, like we need a full girls overnight type thing. But like we just, life, man, life, um, the workforce where nobody wants to work. I know. What are you going to do? 
I don't know. Well, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. And this is... It happened to a friend of a friend. Yay! My family's outside playing <coughs> hockey. Or at least Kevin and Nicholas is. I was just like, these are really pretty flowers. You have great flowers. Kevin takes care of them. I don't do any kind of stuff. That makes sense. So I'm. we're going to let you go first. Yeah. Because I don't remember from last time. So okay. we're just... I'm just guessing you go first. Okay, I'm going to do a Canadian story. Ooh, usually I do those. I know. And then I said I was going to do an American story. And then you said you were doing an American story. And then I decided to flip it. Why? Did you think that we would do the same? Um, well, for a second I had a moment. And then I was like, no, I don't think it's the same. But then I got... No, because um, you said that yours wasn't... Super, like, mine's oldie timey. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think yours was. No. No. But so. it's okay. So I then I, like, just decided to do something Canadian. Okay, let's... So this is the... Get the, the two... It. Oh my god. I was <laughs> going to Oh, I saw the title. I know this one. Yeah, The Dexter <gasps> Killer. This is a good one. Um, okay, go. It's very short. So in October 2008, Jill Tetreo Tetro met a woman on Plenty of Fish. Ooh. And boy, was he hooked. Uh-huh. And then he got catfished. Oh. Two puns for one. <laughs> I'm just so, I was like so excited about writing that down. (laughs) So he agreed to meet Sheena and he followed these like crazy intricate directions to (laughs) meet up with her. So she, he had to go to this like down this back alley street and the garage was going to be open, like half open. And he would have to go through the garage to get to the back area to get to the, her door. Right. (coughs) Sorry. You were coughing a lot at the ballet, too. It was I very know. distracting. It was because we had to wear the mask. You're lucky I'm your friend and I don't care. Oh, my God. The guy with the head and the guy who <laughs> had a full bag of cookies at the ballet were what, much more inappropriate. Um, we were the shit corner. <laughs> we were, like, the not good corner. Anyway, so, yeah, so he, she said you could go through the garage where she, where he could knock away. Um, the That's a quote. So the garage door would be half half up and it was going to be the only one that they would see. And then there's like this banter like, ha, ha, ha. It's like a jungle. There, It's really unkept, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. And I cited my source. <gasps> oh, oh, my goodness. goodness. What true, is your source? Truecrime.ca had like a whole YouTube video on it. Okay. CBS News and the Teal Mango. Oh, that's a fun name. Yeah, the Teal Mango actually had like the examples of the, like, the texts and stuff. So that was exciting. So once he found the garage, he went in and came face to face with not Sheena, but a man who was about six feet tall with a black and gold painted hockey hockey mask who was very menacing. Mm -hmm. He was then stunned with a stun baton and had his mouth taped at gunpoint. He knew in his head that he had to fight back. Like he was like, something's happening and this is it. So he fought back. He managed to reach for the gun and realized that it was fake. Um, so then he started kind of like swinging and punching at the guy. However, the stun gun had like affected him. Okay. So he wasn't really sharp. Um, the guy had grabbed his jacket and he was able to like wriggle free and eventually made his way underneath the door. But then the guy like grabbed him by the legs, like a scary movie and just like pulled him back, fought again and was able to get away. Oh yeah. What was it? Then this quote villain. That's what I wrote. (laughs) Anyways, um, so he got away from this, quote, villain, and he ran into a couple. Like, there was this couple walking down the alleyway, um, and he was just kind of, like, having a hard time moving because of the stun. Wait, I have to tell you something. Oh. So my friend is pregnant right now, 
and she is naming so she's having a boy she's naming him Harrison yeah like your kid's name is Harrison yeah but she's naming him Harrison after Dexter's son oh really yeah that's fucked up your friend is more fucked than I am I'm just kidding <laughs> okay that's like a really crazy person to name it after if you've seen the last season of I haven't seen oh, the new has season. she yeah I think so well yeah. that kid's gonna need therapy uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, is it, is he messed up? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, your dad's Dexter. Yeah. So, I mean, come on. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, carry on. Okay, great. We should have a theme song for side, side note. Side note. I don't know. Side, side, note. Side note. Notations. Maybe this isn't the place to, to brainstorm this footnote. Yeah. Um, a lot of people just like totally turn this off. All of our hunbots left and they're like, and done. And yeah, out. Um, okay. So he ran into this couple, was a little woozy. Um, the couple were like, shit, we, we don't want to get like mugged or whatever's happening here either. So they all like took off kind of in different directions. Right. The guy was really embarrassed about being catfished. So mm-hmm. he didn't go to the authorities. He like just went home. Gilles. The couple though did go to the police. Because Ooh. they were like, this is strange. and But they didn't know exactly where this guy was coming from or what happened. So they could kind of place out the area. But nothing other than that. Right. And then um, nothing really came of it. Because there was, like I said, there was not a lot of information. So, and they didn't know who this guy was. That they, like, they literally went their separate ways. And, that was it. and they were like, well, I hope that guy was fine. But one week later, Johnny Alt- Altinger, Altinger would answer... A similar ad with a much dissimilar fate. All right. We need more sound effects. Page turner. It's a page turner. Oh. Um, You can tell me we've had like a tiny bit of wine because we're all of a sudden crazy. I wrote Friday. I don't know why. (laughs) Because I guess. Oh, yeah. Friday. So I guess this happened on the Thanksgiving weekend. So Thanksgiving in Canada is in October. Mm Mm-hmm. And so on the Friday, um, John, they call him John, they call him Johnny Altinger or whatever. Johnny had um, gone to meet this woman. So friends and family became concerned when he had been sending text messages where he was going on the Friday to meet this girl, but then went silent for a few days completely, which was not normal for him. Like he didn't just turn off his phone and go silent. He was very chatty, always talking to people. He was literally texting directions to meet this person. So, like, he was clearly chatty. Mm-hmm. And then he was supposed to go on a motorcycle trip. Okay. That he also didn't show up for. Which, I mean, he could be having a sex-a-thon, but friends still thought it was a little odd. Mm-hmm. And then Monday was Thanksgiving. So when he didn't show up for any of this stuff and Thanksgiving had come and they still didn't hear from him, they received an email saying that he was going on vacation with this new girl that he had met that he would call at around Christmas time. Okay. Which was really out of character. Like they were like, we don't hear from you for It's always so- out of character. Yeah. What would I do that would be out of character that would make you think, I think <coughs> Sarah has been kidnapped? Like you answer your texts and shit right away in like 30 seconds. I'm literally texting right now because I can't let it sit. I know. So like I'm the opposite. Like you and people would just like, I would go missing and nobody would care because they'd be like, she doesn't. She literally like mid text just stops texting for four days for two weeks. And then all of a sudden she's like, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So like you're a reliable person, right? Yes. I think 
yeah, that would just be it. It's easy for you. If I didn't show up somewhere, if I didn't text you back within like an hour, would you be like... I think that's normal for a lot of people if you don't show up to something. Because how many people... Like, I, most people don't just ditch. That's true. If you're like, oh, maybe I'll be there. Like, maybe I'll meet you at the... So, like, if I didn't text you back within, like, two hours, would you start to be like, I hope Sarah's okay. I wonder if she's sick. No. I wonder if she's ill. Like, I would I mean, like, you do have... Like, we went to a three-hour performance. Like, well, not three hours. But you anyway. Know what I mean? Like, we... It, you could sit through a two-hour movie, you know? I feel like we're getting off track a lot. Okay. Okay. Anyways, you're the one who asked the question. I am drinking weirdo. Some, some wine here, so... The bubbles are going um, to my head. So also, like, Christmas is a long time away from our Thanksgiving. It is. It's not like American Christmas. Where it's, it's like, like a month later. Yeah. It's like October to the end of December. So, yeah. So the friends were, like, on it. They contacted the police. Um, the police really didn't, like, have a lot to go on. Obviously, that's what they do with missing people. They're like, he's an adult. He could show up at any point in time. Like, what do you want us to do? So the friends went to the apartment and broke in and they saw that John's like didn't have a bag packed. His clothes were still there. His charger was still there. His passport was still there. So obviously he didn't go on like an overseas trip with this person. This mm-hmm. takes place in um, Edmonton also. Okay. Alberta. Yes. Yes. I knew it was at West. I'm like cold. Well, you're uh, right by the vent with the air. Oh yeah. Maybe that's why. So then they went back to the police and they were like, hey, listen, his passport's right here. He did not go on vacation. Like this is not correct. And they they did have they did have the directions to this place. But what they noticed was when they were on where am I? Oh, so this was nine days later and the friends had direction to directions. So the police went to the garage. They contacted the guy who owned the garage, but and he came in for an interview and everything and like his questions, his the line of questions were fine. There was nothing suspicious around the garage at the time. Um I guess the lock was broken, but he was like, yeah, I don't know. Somebody broke like broke the lock. I don't really know what happened here. And then that was kind of it. Everything seemed normal. Um, however, when they were making the like the file and stuff, they noticed that there was a complaint in the same area a week earlier, like the same street um, with that couple. So they went back to the couple and like talked to the couple again, which we call it. They went, hold on. No, I saw a complaint of the couple and called them. Uh, but the incident had happened a week earlier. So they were like, okay, so it's something's odds happening here, but it's not the same person. Mm-hmm. And then they went, so then after they had had that conversation, they went back to the owner whose name was Mark Twitchell. Mark Twitchell was, um, or the renter of the garage. Mark Twitchell was born in 1979. And he was like 30 year old male. He was a dude. He was a dude. He... I'll tell you a little bit more about him in a second. Okay. Um, but basically, when they went and talked to him again, he mentioned that, like, in his interview, he had mentioned that he had just bought a new car. And it was this red Mazda hatchback, which was the same car that John Altinger, Altinger, Altinger um, had driven. Mm-hmm. Strange coincidence? I think not. What a coinky ding. Yeah. So they get him to come back, or sorry, they realized that's what he had said in his previous interview so they get him to come back in and they ask him about the car again and he says oh this guy randomly came up to him asking if he would buy a car so he bought the car off this guy and he said that the guy said oh he had just met a rich lady and was taking him on vacation and the police were like okay that's a little (laughs) on the nose like why would you give all that information right like you would just say like yeah I just bought the car off this random stranger blah 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 and move on 
So they were like, okay, there's something up with this guy. It's definitely the guy. In the fall of 2000, oh no, yeah. So um, he had two ex, two wives. His first wife he had also met online, mm-hmm. Mark Twitchell. And she said like, he was very deceptive. He was like, the house they bought was like, or maybe it was the second wife. I don't know. It's not that important. It's a lot of wives. The house they bought, he'd use like fraudulent documents and he was like deceptive and he would lie. Just like had a lot, again, all these like flags went up on his personality. And so they divorced after a year. He had said to his, his the first wife, um, at some point he had asked her, have you ever thought about killing someone? And she was like, no, like, why would you think about that? And she's, he's like, well, everybody at some point in their life, like kind of thinks about killing somebody, like if you would do it or not, or if you could do it. And then he had said like, he had kind of fantasized about like killing a random homeless person. Mm-hmm. He also, yeah, so he, this is how he got his nickname. He was obsessed with Dexter Ooh. and would like talk about Dexter nonstop. And I watched Dexter when I was on Matt Lee with Lucas. Like all of Dexter? I think so. Was that when it started? No, I'm wondering if it was like midway through because one of the guys that Kevin worked with at the time, he would like burn the episodes on discs for me. So... I watched them like at the beginning early on. I actually read the comics when I worked at Indigo. There's books. They're the Darkly Dreaming Dexter. Yeah, I have the, the, I the have, graphic novels. Yeah. They were, they're novels. They're like, no. I don't have graphic. I have like novels. Oh, the ones that they had like a little, uh, like it looked like a comic book almost. But the, the thick, I understand the what a graphic, ones, novel a graphic novel is. Novel, but, I, yeah. but I have the Dexter like books. Oh, oh yeah. No. Because there's actually like novels because the books came out first and yeah. then they made it into the show. Yeah. So and the first season is basically the first book. Yeah. So when I, I think it was around the time when the show was just coming out or whatever, when I worked, it was a long time. It was when I was like in high school that I worked at Indigo and they had the Darkly Dreaming Dexter graphic mm-hmm. novel and I read it. So I didn't have the graphic novel. I had like the novel. Yeah. Anyways, this was a really long conversation about that. <laughs> Some people might want to know that Dexter was a novel. Okay. So, um, and so he was also a filmmaker on the side. So yes, I know he that. was becoming a filmmaker. Um, in the fall of 2008, he married a another young woman, um, and he had a young child. But he was again. She found out he was deceitful. And they had they were having marital problems. So 2008 is also when this occurred. Right. October 2008. So he made this movie, which I will talk about a little bit later as well. Okay, so the evidence was very circumstantial. Um, it was strange. He met both of his wives online. So obviously there was like some sort of connection to chatting online. So the police got a search warrant and they go in and they find all these movie props. Okay. Which they seized, camera, etc., um, in the trash box of the laptop, they found a movie called SK Confessions. Guess what SK stands for? Secret killer. Serial killer. So! <laughs> I was hoping it wouldn't be so obvious. <laughs> Which detailed the crimes, um, even corroborating Jill Tetro's confession. Which they did actually, Jill did actually end up contacting them. Mm-hmm. back when they he saw that somebody else had gone missing. So basically, within the days of John Alting, Altinger going missing, Jill was like, okay, I should say something. So he contacted them back, gave his story, and <laughs> this SK Confessions actually detailed that story. Ooh. It then goes on to detail the murder and disposal of, quote, Jim. Ooh. Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you. I'm not going to tell you exactly how it happened, but I'm going to tell you 
what else they found, which will tell you what happened. Okay. So um, the luminol found a big pool of blood on the floor. Luminol, right? Am mm -hmm. I right? Yeah. Luminol finds everything. How do you get luminol? <laughs> I don't know, but I don't want to see the things that are in people's typical homes and shit with luminol. There's nothing in my home. It's oh, fine. Well, there's stuff all over my home. Anyway, <laughs> not because I murdered somebody. I meant sex to you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um... They also found plastic covers on the windows, and there was blood kind of splatters elsewhere. So there was like a table, this little setup, and they had found like drops, blood droplets everywhere. And then that's also the tie to Dexter. They found like plastic hangings, um, basically protecting parts of the room. And then they found John Altinger's blood in the trunk of the car, his own car. <laughs> that apparently this guy bought from him. They found a the pipe that was used to hit him over the head with blood on it. They found the knives that were then used to stab him. Okay. They also found the black and gold mask that Gilles Tetreau had talked about as well. So pretty much a lot of circumstantial evidence and then literally this manuscript for... Or basically the same thing. Yeah. So also, he had made... Was he, like, method? Because so, he, like, really was yeah, really so trying to get into He character. had also made a movie before this called House of Cards, which was about a screenwriter that researches killing by doing it himself and by luring victims by pretending to be girls online. Oh, my goodness. Like, could you... How stupid are you? Yeah, like, make it a little bit different. So the thing was, he had, like, in his, like, manuscript and in his movie and in his, like, idea he like meticulously planned how he was going to kill this person but he wasn't he didn't plan like after okay like what you're gonna do afterwards right right so about nine months later they well originally they had like taken him out and they were trying to get him to like show them where this body was and stuff like where his john altinger was um eventually nine months later with conditions of course he took a Google map and drew directions to a sewer where they were able to find his cut up remains. Ooh. Yeah. Really sad. This guy seemed really, really nice, actually. And this was so fucking pointless. Every time I hear it, it does seem kind of really stupid and yeah. pointless. And like he didn't even, he wasn't even good at it. Yeah. He didn't even try very hard. Like, he he, was he just wasn't like, I'm gonna... as good at the planning as Dexter was. Yeah. At least Dexter was good at his planning. Well, he didn't cover any of his tracks. Literally, he like, you'd think like, okay, if you killed somebody in the garage, you wouldn't like have the garage rented out in your name and then give them directions like mm -hmm. that they could trace on their phone. Like ridiculous. Owner. Just really dumb. Plan your murders better, people. Plan your cover up better. <laughs> um, just not the murder of us, please. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, in the trial, he claimed he was trying to scare them for publicity for the movie but they freaked out obviously because you just were scaring them and didn't tell them what was happening yes and that he killed john and he attacked um jill in self-defense hmm. yeah stupid blah 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 it took the jury only four hours oh my god to find him guilty <laughs> and he received life in prison in the saskatchewan penitentiary which sounds terrible because it's in saskatchewan um, to this day, he insists he's not guilty. He only corresponds with the Fifth Estate, and he wants to get the footage that uh, from his House of Cards movies 
and any other movies because he thinks he's going to be making more movies in the future. Okay. And uh, yeah, just... He uh, would have notoriety. Idolized Dexter and wanted to emanate that, but failed miserably. Well, if he tried to make movies, he could be like, I was that Dexter killer guy. I'm going to make a movie. It's so... All these bubbles are going to my head. It's a hot mess. Yes. Of a story. They're true. But it was just jarring. I remember, like, it was one of those stories when I first heard it, it kind of, like, stuck with me a little bit just because, like, I don't know, answering an ad, you, you're a big, tough man, you go and that's what you Well, that always, like, I always get it in the back of my mind whenever people contact me on Kijiji because I have an ad for my photography, Sarah Peters Photography, Uh Niagara Region. Uh Um, (laughs) Just giving myself my own plug. Yeah. When people contact me through Kijiji, I always tell Kevin, okay, this is where I'm going. This is who it is. This is the information they've given me. If I wind up dead, this is who's done it. Yeah. And also put me on a podcast. But what if they give you all that information? And then it's just false. And then that, then they like, you go there, but then they're like, oh, hey, we're going to go to this venue. And then you go to that venue. Well. And they give you fake names and stuff. And that's the risk that I take (coughs) by putting my stuff on Kijiji. And then having a murdering podcast where murderers could be listening. They could be. find bait. And now they're going to bait you. Now they know. Please don't die. Please don't die. Okay. Anyway. But if you have to murder one of us, murder Sarah. Don't murder me. <laughs> I'm so weak. If you helpless. have to murder one of us, you would don't fight be back. Mean. You would be mean and you I think you would like scratch and bite. Oh yeah, I'm definitely capable. I don't know if I would. Okay. I would scratch and bite. <laughs> I would punch and I Mall. I don't I don't know I would, dig their eyeballs out like I always feel like it would, you know in a dream when something bad is happening you try to scream but you can't yeah I always feel like that's what it would be like I always have a hard time punching people in the face in my dreams I can never fight back in my dreams or scream oh yeah yeah anyway I should go in because mine's kind of long yeah go for it okay so my sources are SmithsonianMag.com Britannica.com FamousTrials.com Wikipedia <laughs> History.com okay the year is 1924. The Little Orphan Annie comic was first published in the New York Daily News. The names Mary and Robert topped the birth certificate registries. Lime, lemon, and orange-flavored lifesavers were invented. Oh. And a can of Franco-American spaghetti cost just 10 cents. Side note, I used to eat canned spaghetti all the time. Is that why you offered me spaghetti today? It was on your mind? No, because I wrote this like a week and a half ago. I know, but you're presenting it today and you're talking about <laughs> spaghetti a lot. Um, obviously, it wasn't the same brand. I think it was Heinz. But it was a staple in my mom's cupboard. If we were lucky, sometimes we got the Chef Boyardee spaghetti and meatballs. Ooh. I know. Fancy. Also in 1924, a young boy named Bobby Franks was murdered in Chicago by Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb. At the time, it was considered the trial of the century. Ooh. I know. Although who knows how long that lasted. A century is a long time. So, as you may have guessed, we are going to start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. With a, who are you and what are you doing here? Oh my goodness, like you got it all I know, I got it all in. I got it all in. And you started with fun facts. Kind of, yeah. Um, Nathan, okay. Who are Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb? Nathan Leopold was born on November 19th, 1904, I think that's a four that I wrote, 1904 in Chicago. His father was a wealthy box manufacturer, so he grew up with privilege and education. He claims to have spoken his first words at the age of just four months. He was a brilliant student and attended the University of Chicago at just 15, so he was super smart. (laughs) He had studied 15 languages, could speak, I think I meant to write five, because he didn't speak all 15, Mm -hmm. and was recognized nationally as an ornithologist, someone who studies birds. He was actually one of several others. (laughs) 
several others who identified the Kirtland's warbler and published two papers in the AUK, the, which was the leading ornithological, ornithological journal in the U.S. I have some big words for someone who's been downing this drink. Yeah, and they were all very entertaining. He completed an undergrad. Off rhymes with something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not. We're just going to continue. I have a long thing. We don't have time for side notes. Okay. He completed an undergrad at the University of Chicago, had achieved honors with Phi Beta Kappa, the oldest academic honor society, and was on track to attend Harvard Law, just like Elle Woods. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at the age of 19, after turning from a planned trip to Europe, spoiler, that would not happen. So he was smart, had money, and was ambitious. Okay. Next, his murderous BFF, Richard Loeb. Richard was born on June 11th, 1905 in Chicago. His father was a wealthy lawyer and retired and a retired vice president of Sears, Roebuck and Company. You say, I only hear what I want to. I don't listen hard. I don't pay attention to the distance that you're running to anyone, anywhere. Are you done? I stand. I'm sorry. Aiden, is it because it's Loeb? Yeah. Loeb. Yeah. That's the, all I was thinking. I just saw that it was, this. I just saw that it was about the same way and I couldn't yes. help myself. Sorry. So like Leopold, Loeb was also super smart. He skipped several grades and became the youth. Turn the radio on. The radio on. I have a long thing. I don't want to be editing this forever. Okay, I'm done. I already I'm got done. us on, a, on enough tangents I'm with yours. I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Okay. He skipped several grades and became the University of Michigan's youngest graduate at age 17. Unlike Leopold, however, Loeb wasn't as ambitious with his book learning. With his classmates being several years older, he was not happy and he received average grades. Nothing to brag about. He was more interested in reading detective and true crime novels, playing cards, and drinking. Oh my god, he sounds like me. He's like you. Yeah. Not so much like me, maybe the true crime novels. (laughs) Despite his academic standings, he was accepted to the University of Chicago Law School with an interest doing graduate work in history. The pair were casual acquaintances in their youth, but reconnected in the fall of 1925. They became friends, but also began a romantic relationship with each other. The two had an intense and stormy stormy relationship, but they gave each other an escape from the ordinary and challenged each other. They were involved in small crimes at first, like arson, petty theft, vandalism, and a break-in of the University of Michigan fraternity fraternity house where they stole pen knives, a camera, and a tape and a typewriter that will come into play later in our story. Oh. It should also be noted that Leopold, as a student of philosophy, was taken in by Nietzsche's concept of the Ubermenschkin or Superman. I tried to do a separate shallow waiting, not a deep dive, on this, but it was too much and my brain started to hurt. Oh, I I took the, the like a course that explained it in school. Yeah. Yeah. So in the most basic of expl- explanations, <coughs> it's when a person has extraordinary and unusual capabilities whose intelligence allows them to rise above the laws and rules of normal society. With their wealth, status, and above average intelligence, Leopold felt this idea applied to Loeb and himself. Mm-hmm. In the like win- a God complex, basically. Kind of, yes. Yeah. In the winter of 1924, the duo began discussing their plan for murder. Because after all, they were above the law, right? Their goal was to commit the perfect crime. They spent months planning who their victim would be, how much they would demand for ransom, and how they would collect the money to not be caught. They didn't really like the idea of killing someone, but they knew it was important so they would not be identified. (laughs) 
Bobby Franks was 14 years <gasps> old and one of the most gifted students at the Harvard School for Boys. He was a member of the debate team and enjoyed many activities boys at his age enjoy. However, his life would soon be cut short as he became the unfortunate victim of Leopold and Loeb. Aww. Yes. On May 21st, 1924, after renting a car under the name Morton D. Ballard, Leopold and Loeb set out to put their plan in place. After driving around for about two hours, the duo were about to give to give up when Loeb, sitting in the back seat, saw his second cousin, Bobby Franks. He was walking down the street around five o'clock. It was his second cousin? Yes. What a fuck. So, so they knew each other. Yeah, bullshit. Loeb. That's how you get caught. Yes. Well, and a lot of people, like, it always, they always say, like, people are usually murdered or taken by someone that they know. Yeah. Because they trust them, right? Yeah. Loeb knew his father would be able to pay their ransom, so they put their plan in action. So basically, this Bobby, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong mm-hmm. time. Like, they didn't really target him. Leopold t- turned the car around and pulled up next to Bobby. Loeb called to him from the back seat and offered him a ride. Bobby declined the offer, saying he was only two blocks from home. But Lowe persisted, saying he wanted to talk to him about a tennis racket he was using while visiting his house the other day. Lowe was eventually able to convince Franks to get in the car, and the three started chatting as Leopold drove the car. As the car made a left turn and the young boy looked out the window, Lowe grabbed the boy from behind. He put his hand over the boy's mouth to muffle his cries, grabbed a chisel he had laying beside him, and smashed it down hard into Frank's skull. It would take several more blows and jamming a rag down the boy's throat for him to finally relax and fall limp. He had Aww. died. It's, it, this part was hard to write because I'm like, I can't write. Like, this is... I have kids. Yeah, I have boys. <laughs> this like, is hard to write. Yeah, yeah. The pair dumped the body at a predetermined location, which was a portion of marshland near the Indiana line. Before leaving the scene, they stripped the clothes off Frank, Frank's, was Frank's, I think, and poured hydrochloric acid over the body to make the identification process more difficult. They then stuffed the body in a concrete drainage culvert and went back to Loeb's house where they burned Frank's clothing. Leopold called Frank's mom under the name of George Johnson and told her her son had been kidnapped but was unharmed. The further instructions would be coming. The pair then cleaned the car and played cards. The Franks received... And made love, probably. Maybe. I don't know. The Franks received the ransom note the next morning. So it basically said, like, where to leave the body, like, where to leave the ransom and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, There was also apparently the request for $10,000. So so during this time, Frank's body was being discovered as it wasn't as well hidden as the pair thought. When Frank's father got the call that his son's body was discovered, the ransom plan was abandoned. During the investigation, Loeb and Leopold tried to cover their tracks. They were not expecting the body to be found so quickly. They destroyed the typewriter by dumping it in in a lake, and they burned the blanket used to move the body. The pair went on with their lives, pretending nothing was wrong, but things started to unravel. Ooh, this, like, would be a fun movie. Oh, I'm getting there. This is an interesting story. Leopold and Loeb thought they committed the perfect crime, but evidence started to surface. A pair of horned-rimmed tortoise shell glasses were found near the body. Although the glasses were popular at the time, these particular ones had an unusual hinge that could be traced to a certain Chicago optometrist who had only written the prescription for three people. One of them was Leopold. 
Around the same time, the typewriter was recovered and it was determined it was the same one that was stolen from the fraternity I previously mentioned. Leopold told police he spent the night of May 21st picking up girls with Loeb. This was later found to be false when the Leopold family chauffeur claimed he was repairing Leopold's car that evening and therefore could not have been out driving it. With all this evidence surfacing, the two eventually confessed to the murder. The only thing that differed was who actually committed the act. They pointed fingers at each other. Loeb's family hired defense attorney Clarence Darrow, who was a big and who was a big lawyer at the time and was opposed to the death penalty. He's a, he was reportedly paid $70,000, equal to $1.1 million today. Oh. During the trial, Darrow made a 12-hour-long closing argument, begging the judge not to execute Loeb and Leopold. The speech worked, and the pair was sentenced to life plus 99 years. While in prison, Loeb was killed by another inmate in a, by oh. a razor during a fight. Oh. Leopold kept up with his book learning in the prison. <coughs> He taught in the prison school, mastered foreign languages, worked as an x-ray tech in the prison hospital, reorganized the prison library, volunteered to be tested with a, with a malaria vaccine, and designed a new system of prison education. Leopold was released in 1958. He eventually migrated to Puerto Rico, where he earned a master's degree, Bullshit. taught math, and worked in hospitals. He also wrote a book about the birds of Puerto Rico and married a widow of a Baltimore physician in 1961. He traveled back and forth to Chicago in the 60s, and he eventually died in 1971 of a heart attack. Can I guess what movie, that there's a movie based off of it, right? There's numerous movies, but there's one popular one that you would probably know. And Ryan Gosling. Yes, but what's okay. it called? I don't know what it's called, but it has that, the guy with the hair and the big eyes. It's got. It's called Murder by Numbers. Okay. And yes, it has Sandra Bullock yes. and Ryan Gosling and someone else. I don't know who it oh is. Oh my God. Okay. It sounded like this. Yes. Okay. So yes, because I was looking up stuff, <coughs> murders based, like movies and stuff based oh. on murders. So this one came up and I was like, oh, I've heard that story before. That's what it sounded like to me, that story yeah. for some reason. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So that is my story. Oh. Yeah. It was good because the way you painted it didn't seem like the movie, but it, but it kept running like flashes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Good story. So yeah, that's my story. Oh, that was a long one. It was a long one. I was kind of glad, like last week when you kept saying you couldn't record, because I would literally be working on my notes, and you would text me and say we can't record, and then you're like, oh, and then I'm like, I'm out, <laughs> and I would like drop my pen. I know it's it's kind of sucks because when like I've been so busy back to work, so like when I'm picking stories, sometimes I'm like, oh, I really want to do the story, but it's so much work. Yeah. So I'm like, I'll do the story. So what's your throwback? Okay. Nobody's going to get it. It's a local throwback. Because, okay, I probably won't get it. Because of my story, I picked something that we we had, did here when we were little called the Catfish Derby. I think I know that. They still do, like, these catfishing competitions and stuff, but it used to be, like, a big deal. And I honestly was so young, I barely remember it, but there was, like, there was, like, this, it was called, like, Calhoun's Sporting Goods or whatever, and they used to, like, make t-shirts and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. that was their whole thing. And I think that they were the ones who like ran this catfish derby and used to just go and it was like a carnival type fair and you could, you basically like fish for catfish. (laughs) I don't know, but it was the whole thing when we were kids. And that was it. That was my throwback. It was a local throwback to something. They don't do it anymore. They stopped doing it in the early 2000s, I think was when they, last time they did it. I think it kind of just fizzled out. Mm -hmm. People got, like it was very like 80s. Because catfishing got like a bad rap. No, I think the the company was like 
going out of business or changing business or something oh, like that. Okay. Like I think it's the ones that sponsored it. I don't really know. I don't honestly like. I have to have flashback memories of it when I no, was a kid. No, that's fun. I like it. Yeah, something a local thing called the Catfish Derby. I like it. So mine is signing out library books with cards. Remember, like when you would sign a library book out, like from school or whatever, yeah. and you would like write your name and the date on a card. Yeah. So that library cards. I like it in books. In books, yeah. just books in general. Books aren't. I still read books. I mean, I still do too. I'm reading Me by Elton John right now. Oh, is it good? It is. It's very good. I, um, just because it had a lot of good reviews on something, I read Verity, and it was okay. What's that? It was good. Yeah, just a book about an author who's, I don't know. It's a book. Okay. It took, like, a day to read. Like, take a look. It's in a book. It's reading rainbow. That could be a throwback, too. It is. We just made it one. You just made it one. Okay, well, we're not superstitious, but we're a little stitious. Bye! Bye.